Welcome to Carrying Wayward, a supernatural podcast for fans who aren't ready to let go, and newcomers to the series who are ready to jump in. I'm Drew Shulman. And I'm Marie Vigourou. In this episode, we're diving into Supernatural Season 6, Episode 11, Appointment in Samara. Let's get this show on the road. So as you know, the very iconic Supernatural episode, The Man Who Would Be King, is coming up this season, and we really wanted to highlight it and celebrate it all together. So we're going to be hosting a live watch on June 28th for all of our patrons, regardless of the tier, where we're going to be watching The Man Who Would Be King. And uh, Drew, it's going to be your first time watching it ever. Yeah, even this speech you're giving to our listeners of it being the monumental, iconic episode I have no idea why or what that means. Well, you're not going to find out until June 28th. Well, I'm very excited for it. And all you need to do in order to attend this live watch and witness Drew witness this for the first time is either be or become a patron and register for the event. All the details are available already on Coffee and Patreon. So head over to carryingwayward.com and register. And I can't wait to laugh and or cry and or be really angry or potentially really happy with all of you. Are we ready for the recap of this episode? Sure, count me down. All right, three, two, one, go. Dean winds up at a sketchy backroom doctor to be put down, I guess is the best way to put it, so we can have a quick meeting with Death slash Tessa. And Death is all like, yeah, I'm cool with this. You have no bargaining chips, but I'm down for a game. You be Death for a day and I'll give you back Sam's soul or Adam's soul. And Dean's all like, I don't know, Sam's. And then he gets me Death for a day. He makes it a few hours in. Really kind of can't do it right when he gets faced with an actual problem. Uh, so he gives it up and ends up screwing screwing up but death still comes with the deal and while all this is happening solo sam is trying to kill bobby because apparently an angel told him that killing his air quotes father would let him be unsolable ever again time what did you think about this i i've been saying it since like season one i really enjoy the split episodes and i think the downside to a split episode is you have to focus on one over the other and it can kind of feel imbalanced and while this was 99.9% a Dean episode, the 0.1% that was Sam and Bobby was still good and still gave us content. Like, I just feel like a lot of what you had been predicting is sort of like coming to fruition. So like, I was like, oh, Drew was right about this. Oh, and he was right about that. Oh, and he predicted this and he predicted that. So I was like, you were very present in my mind when I was taking my notes. (laughs) Well, I feel like this whole arc and this episode were very... Nothing surprised me, not in a bad way. This was very formulaic for what I would expect from a TV show or movie. It's like kind of the same way you can go see like any Fast and the Furious movie and you'll get some cool action scenes, but you're pretty sure the good guys are going to win and there'll be a twist somewhere where the guy who was clearly the bad guy turns out to be the bad guy and betrays like you're not going for like the next Shakespeare play. You're going because it's enjoyable And while this is doing what I feel like is the very obvious thing to do, it's doing it well and I'm really enjoying that ride. Arguably, a lot of the literary... um, You're you're completely right. This is kind of 
kind of textbook, but in a good way. Like, it just means like, oh, okay, this is reassuring. This is going like where we're expecting it to go, right? Like we're finally getting a little bit of payoff for Sam's soul. Do we want to go into the long game a little bit? Like just to kind of fill in some, some blanks. All right. So we get to see Death, Tessa and Balthazar this episode. So that's pretty cool. You helped me a bit, but I kind of got led to down the path that this was going to be a death episode. Bonus Tessa. And I did not expect Balthazar. I'm intrigued to have him around. So this is not the last time that Dean is going to purposely kill himself and end up talking to death. My only question then is what will they be eating that time? Uh, You'll see. Because it's always over food. And I have some theories about that. We finally get an acknowledgement that Adam, or at least like Adam's soul, is also in the cage with Sam. Because like basically almost this entire season, it's been like hinted that Sam is alone in there, but he really isn't. Like Adam has been there too. And he's going to remain there for the foreseeable future at this point. I was going to say, like, I, I, I don't think this changes much for me because I still feel like we'll get some Adam action somewhere down the line. We still have many, many seasons to go. But I kind of feel like, Sam's soul, now that it's back, will not be as bad as we think it is because it had Adam there. And they'll be like, a, oh, because we had each other and our brotherly bonds, we were able to withstand longer and my soul is not as broken as I think it is. Actually, this is really good. I love that. <laughs> anyway, we'll get there. I love when I make a prediction that's so wrong and you're like, that sounds so much better than the horrible <laughs> thing we're going to get. I can't tell you if you're wrong, but I can tell you that I wish you were right. There you go. There you go. I think that's where I will go with that one. That I can't tell you if this is wrong, but I surely wish it was right. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to hear, or we hear the first of a long series of comments about how Sam, or again, Sam's soul, is being sexually assaulted in the cage. In this episode, it's Balthazar who says, Michael and Lucy are hate-banging it as we speak. And obviously we're going to have more conversations about this, but I thought that I would sort of like highlight this first instance. The fact that you mentioned it's a first instance is a little more troubling. As a one-off, I could I could just see it being like a not tasteful joke in the like, we think this is funny because this is like a bunch of men in a writing room type thing. But to hear that it continues does feel troubling and icky. Yeah, and like if we're going to talk about sexual assault, let's talk about sexual assault. Like I'm down to talk about it. We'll see how it's handled over the the next few um, instances, I guess. The topic as a whole, I'm not like opposed to discussing it. Obviously, this is a safe show and we should discuss everything that comes up as long as it's talked respectfully. But like, I just sorely hope it's done well. If it's Depends on your definition of well. Balthazar tells Sam that patricide is a way to make the human body uninhabitable for a human soul. And this is a way to make the plot of the episode work. I know that, uh, but I'm going to have some questions about that in a future episode. Yeah, this felt like one of those loose and fast rules. And even I have some questions about it. And I've only seen this episode. This is the second time that an angel convinces Sam to kill Bobby as part of a spell to get what he wants. And the first time was Mystery Spot, and he had his soul at that point. So we're going to talk a little bit more about that in story time. This is another one of those great, uh, if I had a nickel for every time. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm getting the vibe. Angels just don't like Bobby. I'm getting the vibe. 
I think angels, for some reason, kind of like to see Sam like going out of his mind for whatever reason. It's just very troubling. Again, with the exception of Cass, angels are dicks. Death tells Dean that right now he's digging at something and that it's about the souls. I, like, stayed up for an hour after watching, like, what does he mean? Do we know already? Do I have more information? Really, the only connection I have for this is Balthazar collecting souls. Why is he collecting souls? Does it give him something that we don't know about? I need answers. I know you can't give them to me, but I want them. Well, I've mentioned something in a long game before. I will say that much. I'm going to go back and look through all our notes. <laughs> you certainly can. It would be an easy thing to do. They're all on Google Drive. <laughs> and finally, Death puts Sam's soul back in his body and says he's going to put up a temporary wall to make sure that he doesn't remember what happened in the cage, which sounds like such a great idea because like the one thing that the Winchesters do really well is follow orders and advice that they're given. And even like he's specific, like it'll feel itchy. Don't scratch at it. Like, what do you think Sam's going to do? The first thing, he's going to go buy a back scratcher live. Also, the entire time we were watching, the, like, the pulling the soul out of the bag, like, very medically, like the old doctor's bag, I was just like, is it going in his mouth? <laughs> <laughs> and we don't see it, but from the, the screaming, I'm going to have to assume it did not. Sadly, it did not go down his gullet. Which also, by the way, was in the recap this week. <laughs> Yes, I know. That I know. Line. I thought about you again. <laughs> again, you were very present with me when I was taking my notes. I was like, oh, true. Let's go and talk about our theme for this week. Our theme this week is compassion. And I want to mention that this theme was suggested by somebody in our Discord server. So thank you, Lucia, for this great suggestion. Now, my first question about like this whole theme episode, etc., is like, what's the difference between empathy and compassion? And I think that a way to answer that is to look at the etymology of both words. Double etymology. So compassion is made up of calm, meaning together, and passion, meaning suffering. So to suffer together. And the modern definitions of compassion always mention a strong feeling of sympathy, empathy, or pity, depending on the dictionary, and a strong desire to help. So I think that that's where the difference is. Like with compassion, you're leaning towards or taking action on the empathy that you're feeling for the person in front of you. The way it was always explained to me in certain in the environments where I had to know the difference was empathy is sharing in someone's suffering. Compassion is understanding somebody's suffering. Yeah, I, I think that hints definitely at that. I think that for what we're doing today, the action part is going to be really important. Just an example, if you're telling me that you're feeling really sad, like, I'm like, oh, I'm so sorry to hear that. That's empathy, right? It's me like feeling that with you versus like compassion would be like, oh man, he's really sad. Like I should do something to cheer him up. In this context, how we're going to deal with this word. Do you want to get us started with Dean a little bit? Yeah, I think that like if we start with Dean, uh, this because this is where there's like the most digging to do in terms of finding out where he shows compassion and where he doesn't. First off, I want to talk about something with you. Like the first thing that he asks Death is to get Sam and Adam out of the cage, right? But Death has him choose and Dean, unsurprisingly, chooses Sam. So what do we think about that? Yeah, what a what a real tough choice. I really thought it would like you know weigh on him a bit more, but he jumps to Sam so easily. You really? You thought he would hesitate? 
I thought he would at least like consider it or like discuss it. But like there's nothing like at the end of the day, like a little bit of sarcasm. Obviously, he was going to pick Sam, but I thought they would at least try to like make him look like he cared about both of them equally and not one more than the other. But I think it speaks so much to the found family aspect of the show that though Adam is equally a blood relative, there really isn't a bond there. He is just someone who was caught in the crossfire. Yes, they share a father, but that isn't what makes him family. You know that like really like I'm, I'm looking for a cheap metaphor here, but kind of like the 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 building is burning and you can only save one person. Do you get the old man who's already on his deathbed or the young child with a bright future? Like there's, there's, there's a more, like both choices are okay, but like one is obviously the better choice in my opinion. Um, and I feel like knowing how broken Sam's soul is, which I guess Adam's soul would be just as broken. If you think about it, I don't know. I just think it was a little on the selfish side because I think he wants his brother back more than he wants to save somebody. And the fact he doesn't even consider Adam, except for the like, can I have both? No, only one, Sam. I was not surprised at how quickly he picked. For me, it was like he came in with both demands because he wanted to make sure that in the negotiation, he would get at least one of them. And it was always going to be Sam, right? Like, I hate how much I love that. <laughs> when you show up to a negotiation table, you always ask for more than you want. And then you know that you're going to get something closer. But that just makes Dean seem so sleazy in, in a way strategic i'm sorry I, I think when your strategy involves leaving someone stranded with lucifer it's a little bit skeezy drew they haven't talked about adam at all this season when i first watched this show i had forgotten that adam was in the cage i'll be very honest so did i until this week so i think we're just as bad as dean there you go so that's kind of like my point about all this is that i like this was not a surprise to me i was like why is he even mentioning adam like so so that's kind of how i'm looking at it and so yes i i do fall in the camp that this was a, a selfish decision on dean and and i'm not saying selfish in a bad way but like he had the choice between saving two people and he saved the person he loved most and i think that that's a natural human thing to do that that part is yes but then I think it's also important to look at like the people that he's supposed to kill, like with while he's wearing Death's Ring and who he chooses to show compassion to, because he doesn't show compassion to the man who dies of a heart attack. And he certainly doesn't show compassion to the robber who's literally in physical pain dying on the floor. He's choosing to give his compassion to the family who was getting robbed. And, and again, I don't blame him, to be clear. I just think that this is interesting because it's showing us that like his lack of compassion also leads to a lack of action, like not killing the robber immediately, and therefore brings more suffering to the robber, which is exactly what Dean wants in that moment. Yeah, I mean, I think this first one is such a clear indication that like, until he meets the little girl Hillary, this is a power trip being the deciding factor. Like ultimately this man is going to die, but he has to choose how much he suffers first. And it's giving Dean this rare chance to feel completely in control on a personal and cosmic level that I feel like he hasn't had in a long time. Uh, but even with the death by heart attack, he is quick to end the man's suffering. Like he doesn't like let him suffer. He's not being mean to him. He's being quick, but then he's judgy, you know, despite his own proclivities when it comes to uh, food and death does hint at it a bit later. 
I really like that idea of him kind of using this as a, as having control for once. Yeah, I really, really like that. Thank you for bringing that up. There's also two other moments that I want us to look at. Um, the first one being like when he chooses not to kill Hillary and when he decides to take off Death's Ring in order to save like Jolene's uh, grieving husband. Because the thing is, not killing Hillary technically doesn't have a consequence for him directly, right? But taking off Death's Ring in order to save Scott should have cost him the wager with death altogether, meaning that like because he chose to take off the ring, he doesn't get Sam's soul back. And I wonder if this is a morality message from the writers about this episode, like telling us that compassion should be entirely selfless and should even cost us something in order to be real compassion. And again, I had no spoilers, just I've watched enough content to get where this was going. And this is exactly what would happen. And I feel like death knew that. And like, even I knew like he was going to take the ring off and he would still get Sam's soul back. Like none of this surprises me. But while like we've talked about death before, even in my lore segments in the past, this death might not be the type to play chess, but he is definitely the type to play games. Uh, that aside, to answer your question, Dean will always put others before himself and will always protect the innocent. So obviously this is why he chose to save Hillary. And again, why he feels personally responsible for Jolene's husband and will thus give up his wager to save the man. Dean's compassion is his truest strength and kind of his biggest weakness. And while he can often go too far to the point that it becomes like literally the thing that can ruin him, he he cares for the world and people around him more than he cares about himself. Yeah, I think my question is more like, is the message of this plot line that in order for compassion to be real, in order for you to express compassion, does it have to be selfless or can it also be a little bit selfish? I think it can go either way. I think it can be selfish. I don't think compassion requires sacrifice or giving things up. I think it's something to weigh when you are being compassionate about somebody like like from the most cliche example of like two kids get a scoop of ice cream and one loses the scoop of ice cream. The other kid goes, let me share it with you. I'm giving up half of my ice cream. So you're not sad anymore. Doesn't mean I have to give up my entire ice cream for you to not be sad anymore. And I then have to be sad in your place. Like it does not require literal sacrifice every time. Well, I kind of, because like you're still giving up something, right? Which is fine. I think that that's really great and wonderful, right? And and really beautiful. But I'm kind of wondering, like, is there a situation where you can take action in order to help somebody where it doesn't cost you anything and for that to still be compassion? And that's kind of the thing, right? Like, I don't think that true compassion should cost us personally every single time. I think sometimes it does and sometimes it will, but I I don't think it has to in order to be compassion. And that's kind of where I think like I I find this episode interesting in, in the messaging that I'm getting out of it. I think it comes full circle at the end when he ultimately goes back to take Hillary. And Tessa even says, like, you've already lost the challenge. You don't have to do this. But he feels responsible because the same way he felt powerful on a cosmic level, he understands that what he did has ramifications and he needs to correct those by correcting the mistake he made before. He is showing compassion for the world around him. Wouldn't the right thing to do have been to save Adam instead of Sam? If that's the lesson he had learned. 
which is kind of what I thought was going to happen too. And the fact that it doesn't is a little surprising. Please, listeners, like I'm not I'm not saying that Sam should have been left in the cage, but I'm just kind of saying that this I think this episode message wise is quite incongruent with like between the plot and the message. But that's I again, that's just me maybe digging a little too far. How about Sam? So in the past few episodes, I've specifically pointed out that Solus Sam was a liability specifically due to his lack of empathy and compassion. And here we are. I think that this comes as a surprise as a surprise to nobody. What I find really fascinating in the dialogue specifically is that at one point he tells Bobby, I got to do this, Bobby. I'm sorry. So it really seems like there is some kind of acknowledgement that he doesn't actually really want to kill Bobby, So maybe he does feel at least like a tiny speck, like a dusting of empathy, but he's still super determined to kill him anyway, because he's concerned that getting his soul back was going to kill him, which is what angels and demons have been telling him might happen, right? So maybe a tiny bit of empathy, but certainly no compassion. Yeah, I mean, it's very clear that if we're looking for compassion in this episode, this is not where we're going to find it this week. Uh Uh-huh. But like you said, there is some level of I feel like it's understanding for like to kill someone you see as a father who is not your birth father requires some level of attachment and emotional bonding, something that soulless Sam doesn't have, but knows that he once did. There's even a part of me that assumes that the spell may have not actually worked because soulless Sam no longer sees Bobby as a father figure, but as an object. His apology in that moment does seem to indicate there is a part of him that, like, even in that state, understands that what he is doing is wrong, but has calculated that it's going to allow him to achieve a goal he needs. So it's doing a bad thing for a better result. Right. This is the ends justify the means. This is like season three, Sam. I really like this idea that the spell wouldn't have worked anyway because he doesn't see him as a father. I find that really fascinating, like a really, really interesting little thing to scratch at. In the long game, I mentioned like how similar this plot point is to Mystery Spot. And I'd like to kind of look at that uh, for a minute with you. So just to refresh everybody's memory, in Mystery Spot, Gabriel traps Sam in a world where Dean is dead and Sam turns like very serial killer focused on like finding Gabriel and bringing Dean back. And I think that this episode actually gave us a preview of what happens to Sam if he doesn't listen to his soul and puts feelings and empathy aside. So we kind of had like a little preview of what soulless Sam would look like. And we had made some parallels to John at the time too, I'm pretty sure. Eventually, Bobby finds him and tells him that the only way to bring him back, bring Dean back, sorry, is to have like a whole human worth of blood for a spell or something. And he basically tells Sam that like he should just kill him instead of somebody else. And Sam does kill, quote unquote, Bobby, but he's convinced that it's actually Gabriel disguised as Bobby. Turns out it was and he was right. But there's like this really long pause before the reveal. So anyway... I just find it super interesting that we're sort of coming back to a similar plot point here where Sam is so focused on his goal that he gets convinced by yet another angel to kill Bobby. I said it once, I'll say it again. Angels hate Bobby. There's a story here we're missing. I want to know what it is. It is a strange parallel and one that we have considered before where there's some part of like 
Sam Sam that is so close to Sola Sam that all it really takes is for him to shut down his emotional side, which I don't think should be nearly as easy as Mystery Spot makes it out to be. But um, that raises some questions for how much compassion Sam is putting on versus truly feeling when he does have a soul. I think it sounds more negative when I say it, but I think it's just it's a like he's able to compartmentalize his feelings so easily. Like it seems a little like I, I don't want to start diagnosing him, but you kind of always hear like, you know, like uh, serial killers. They don't have compassion. They fake it because they know they have to have it or those kind of like TV tropes. This is me feeling like there is a part of Sam that could go this way fairly easily, even without giving up his soul. That like, I wonder how much of the more emotionally stable, uh, at least to other people, brother, is he actually being versus acting? This is what I've been saying all season long about Soulless Sam, that this is Sam. It's just Sam entirely without his capacity for feeling and for empathy and compassion and love. And so that's kind of why when people are, are, are talking about Soulless Sam as a different entity, I'm like, yeah, of course, he's a different entity, especially like for the sake of the show and the way that we talk about him. But this is like the coldest, most calculating version of Sam, but it's still Sam. It's the most like bizarre irony of how I've always kind of like been talking about Soul of Sam as if he were so different that like when the soul comes back, he would effectively be killed and Sam would come back. And finally, we're at that point where that's what they're literally saying. Like, I think Soul of Sam literally says, I will stop existing. Like, he clearly corroborates my concept of this, which is kind of like, I feel good about like predicting that. But at the same time, we are now seeing that even though this entity of Soulless Sam would stop existing and it would be pure Sam again, Sam Light, Sam Classic. <laughs> uh, Sam Diet Sam? Sam Zero? Sam 1.0. Mmm, Cherry Sam. <laughs> I'm getting way off subject here. What I mean to say is that even though the way I perceive Soulless Sam seems to be the way Soulless Sam perceives himself itself, there is still a part of Soulless Sam that exists within Sam because all it is is Sam shutting down his emotions, in this case because his soul is removed, versus in Mystery Spot where he manually shut them down to become the perfect killer. I feel like the show is saying one thing, but showing us a different one. And I that's kind of... This is just one of those episodes where I find that the second you start thinking... like Because if you just look at the action, it tells one story. It kind of the same thing with like compassion and what they're kind of saying about compassion, right? Actions are saying one thing, but the second you start interpreting a little bit and, and scratching at those things, it does tell a different story, especially when you put that within the framework of like the last 10 episodes as well. So I just think that this is kind of um, just a really interesting choice in terms of writing um, that we're going to start seeing a lot more in Supernatural, where... There is one story at the surface and another one if you start scratching it a little bit. Like, I don't want to sit here and go into it too long. Maybe we could talk about it more in another uh, venture. But, like, I feel like this is a weird situation where both sides of the story can be true. Like, I don't think one necessarily disproves the other. I think they're just slightly different lenses for looking at the same story, if that makes any sense. No, for sure. Yeah. This episode was written by Sarah Gamble and Robert Singer. 
and directed by Mike Roll, originally airing on December 10, 2010. And this was the mid-season finale. So imagine seeing this, and then the next episode is February 4th. God, I'm glad I don't watch TV like that anymore. He says, sitting here waiting uh, two and a half years since the last episode of Doctor Who. What's in the Hunter's Journal this week? Why? That is the question that sticks with me. I understand and can answer all the other questions like, who is that? What does it want? Where did it go? Those are easy. An Oni to eat us and back to some sort of demon realm or hell. I don't know. Okay, I can almost answer all of them. But why? That's the one I never know how to answer. Why does it hunger for humans? Why does it want you? Why anything? Why am I a hunter? Why am I the one saving you? Why are you using ancient Japanese scrolls for your art destroying other cultures' history? Okay, the last one might actually answer some of our other questions, but not the point. Why? But really, is this some kind of natural order? Is there some kind of greater reasoning? And if I ever meet the thing or the person that controls all of this or whatever is above everything else, will it be able to answer my one question? Why? And why not tell me what you're thinking about this week? So I mentioned at the top of the episode that the theme for story time was like listener generated, right? And the reason for that was that I was actually having trouble choosing between compassion or empathy, but also between like fate, destiny, or consequences. Now, I do have the advantage of foresight, and I know that we're going to be talking about destiny quite a bit very soon. So... You know, with the feedback from our Discord server, we sort of went ahead uh, with compassion. However, I do think that like destiny or fate is really important here. It was basically like the whole point of Dean's wager with death. Death wanted Dean to realize that there's like a natural order to the things that he's uh, messing with and that he's upsetting that natural order by bringing back people who shouldn't be back, for example. And I find that interesting because it comes back to our conversation from last week about whether or not Dean has really learned from his own mistakes, the same way that he's asking Samuel to do, or if he's giving out the advice, but he can't take it himself, just like Samuel accused him of. And I think, again, you know, if he had really learned his lesson, I don't know that it's truly Sam that he would have brought back. I think that's a really interesting, like, question to pose because... It feels like we almost got cheated a little bit in that he was not given the the question again by death. Death just says, I'm giving you back Sam. And then kind of makes up his own like, oh, I the two of you are always coming back and the two of you are working on something that I find interesting. So I want you the two together because I would have loved to have seen this scene where he was given the question by death again. Which one do I bring back now that you know this? I think he would have still said Sam because in my heart of hearts, in my heart of hearts, I don't think Dean has learned shit. I think that Dean will always do the deal. He will always take the deal if it comes to his brother. I think ultimately the the problem here is that Dean understands there's a natural order. He has learned a lesson about Maybe there is no destiny or fate, but there is still a natural order to the world and it can be screwed up. Maybe we need to screw it up sometimes. Maybe sometimes screwing it up is a bad thing. So I think what it comes down to is 
yes, he's learned the lesson, but he's still going to take the risk and be selfish. But then he hasn't learned the lesson. You know what I mean? If he's still doing it, then he hasn't learned. I was literally just having a, a conversation with my with my nine year old about this. Like, if you've really learned, then you won't do, you know, the thing again. But if you keep doing it, then you ha really haven't learned. It depends what it is you learn. Just because I, you know, like to really make this dark, like if I learn that doing something is actively hurting somebody. Okay, but that's, I, I totally get where you're going, but I'm going to stop you right there because that's not the thing that we're talking about learning here. We're talking about learning not to bring people back. That is the thing that is at, at the heart of this conversation. And if Dean had really learned his lesson, we wouldn't be here, which I'm glad he hasn't because otherwise the show would be mighty boring. But like, you know, I think that this is kind of important to, to highlight. I mean, I, I think we're dancing on the same point. You're right. He has not learned his lesson But he understands why it's, it's like he knows more now why it's wrong. But he's going to continue doing it. But he's still willing it. to do it. Yeah, I know. Yes. But so he's a hypocrite. He hasn't learned his lesson. So. Exactly. 100%. So what Samuel not, was telling him yes. last week. Yeah, they're both hypocrites. That's the point. Everyone's a hypocrite. Every, even death is a hypocrite. Death is saying you guys break the natural order all the time. Let me break the natural order for you. They're all hypocrites. But you see, I think this is why, like, I have it. I I love, I adore this episode. I think it's so good, again, on the surface. But then the second you start digging a little bit, I find that, like, it doesn't hold up. Because, like, everybody is doing the stuff that they all said that they would never do. And, and like, I don't know. I just, I think that bothers me a little bit. I, I think I used the expression last week, the do as I say, not as I do. I know, but the thing is, like, when everybody does that, it's like, okay, you just wanted to write a cool episode where death gets Samsul, which is fine. But then, like, it's, like, I find that it undermines a lot of the character development and a lot of, like, just the character's baseline that has been happening over the past, like, five to now, five and a half seasons. So that's, that's kind of my gripe with it. Again, I love it on the surface, but the second I start digging, I'm like, this, like, there are flaws everywhere. But I think those flaws are almost like baked into the characters and that they are like they are aware that they are trying to fix something by breaking rules. And they understand that technically that should not work, but they're going to try again anyways because they're selfish and they think they are above the rules. Maybe. But then the fact that death does nothing just like to me makes death like a lot less intimidating. You know what I mean? Like, you know how death was so scary, like the first few episodes that we saw him. And now it's like, okay, so death is just like on their side, like whatever. Death is like no longer scary. Death is like a nothing burger, right? I think the more we meet death, the more they have to normalize him. They, he can't be this big, bad, scary thing constantly. But if he, he should can be, just I summon think. him. He, no, no, you're right. He should be. I think there is a world in which death is written very differently. So... I love the way they're doing death right now. I would have loved the scarier death, but I still love this one. Like the scary death that you and I both want is the A plus. This is a solid A minus and I will take it. I don't, I don't, do not give this an A minus. I apologize. Like we would have very different grading scales here, but yeah, I don't, I don't know. I just, I, f I find this episode quite weak when you start thinking about the characterization. Um, but I do, I, again, I do love it. And every time I watch it, I'm like, yeah, like it's kind of like, it's kind of like those action movies that are like not great, but they just, 
like make you feel good kind of thing. Shall we see what our community has to say this week? This week, we have a message from Jesse. Before we listen to it, we want to remind you to send us a three-minute voicemail. To respond to anything we discussed today, you can use the recording app on your phone and just email us that recording at carryingwayward at gmail.com. We also want to remind you that Mary and I will be answering the question, why do you think Balthazar calls Cass Sam's boyfriend? For our Roadhouse supporters, Honor and Paula Talk. Stay to the very end of the episode to hear a short clip. Hello, friends. My name is Jesse. Um, I'm a big fan of the podcast. I only found it recently, but I've been kind of binging the episodes lately. Um, so hopefully this is just the first of many voice recordings that, <laughs> that I am uh, turning in here. Uh, today, I wanted to talk about Dean and his crusade for free will coming from a very dark place. In the show, we've seen Dean kissed and touched many times without his consent. Um, there's a lot of instances where Dean is kind of grabbed by the face by people who wish him harm. And it's like a very demeaning position for him. And I believe there's a difference in the way that Dean reacts to this versus Sam. And I'll touch on that in a bit. But we know that Dean is very adamant about not letting the angels use his body for their plans. And I think a theme of Dean having his body touched or used against his will comes up so often because of the larger theme of destiny versus free will. Will you allow yourself to be used in the way that you need to be for someone else's story? Or do you say, no way, I'm going to do my own thing? I think these instances of Dean and him wielding his autonomy as a weapon is crucial to his character. Dean is arguably the leader of Team Free Will, and he coined the term, because he doesn't want someone else to use his body for their agenda, not even to fight evil, because he knows that the angels' intentions aren't pure, and Michael has a personal agenda against his brother, and he wants to use Dean's body to enact it. I don't want to give away any spoilers, but this does happen much, much later. Someone will say cut from the same cloth as Michael is able to trick Dean into using his body to getting his revenge on someone, and he hurts a lot of people in the process. This event nearly causes Dean to go insane, and to win against this person, he literally has to battle and fight against his own mind and body to gain the upper hand, and after that, he's got to be very careful about how he is so as not to let them take control again. It makes him paranoid for much of the season. So back to our current season and how Dean and Sam differ in this way. Sam has a little bit of a different reaction because he's not so appalled that his body autonomy would be removed. I think he's a little more focused on it being like literal Satan who needs him and that he's an abomination because he's the devil's chosen one. He's also pretty reluctant um, that Lucifer really wants to kill a whole bunch of humans, um, but that's where he and Dean are very similar. They don't want innocent people to die. In the end, I think it's very telling that Sam decides to sacrifice himself and allow Lucifer a ride in his body, so, so to speak, while Dean doesn't have to. Now, we can use this as a point to talk about Sam's chosen one complex or whatever, but I think Dean's refusal to be possessed by Michael has a lot more horrifying, deeper meanings. We talk about Dean knowing what chloroform smells like and a shifter using Dean's likeness to kill someone. Dean being tortured in hell. Dean routinely kissed non-consensually. It all has a very sobering common thread that tells us why Dean is so determined to create and maintain Team free will. You know what? There are times where a voicemail comes in and it just it 
it puts something I already kind of knew in very plain text. <laughs> Dean's disdain for being touched and used. I mean, it's not like it's unnatural, but as you pointed out, talking about the chloroform and sort of the the unwritten history of Dean growing up as a queer youth that we've all sort of put together throughout the context clues of all this, it, it really does paint a negative picture. But I think it's also such a powerful one. And the fact that it's something that's able to be drawn out from the text so easily tells me that there's definitely something there. And again, even tying into our episode this week, talking about fate and destiny and whether you should just be a proper little puppet and follow along or fight your own battles. Like, yeah, there, there was always a part of me even early on that was like, why is Dean against this? Like, ultimately, it's angels want to use you to save the world. Why is this such a bad thing? And within that same breath, it's the like, oh, yeah, because it's taking away your control and your personhood and your being. It's giving yourself over to someone to use you in a way that isn't that doesn't feel good. Yeah, that it just it makes sense for Dean so much. And the fact that Sam doesn't have to face the exact same version of it, obviously being dealing with his own corruption and dealing with the fact that it's literally the devil that wants him versus just like a force of good blanketly. It says a lot about the way that both of them deal with the fate versus free will type thing. But yeah, for Dean, this is a it's a very powerful realization that I, I think at least myself deep down, I knew, but I'm glad it's been put into such a clear and concise message for everyone. So thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much, Jesse. I really appreciated hearing your voicemail. You know, one thing that's been kind of happening very, like very recently is that, um, people on TikTok, like one of our TikToks or a couple of our TikToks about like Dean's, um, history of sexual assault, they've started receiving more likes, but a lot of them date back from 2021, right? Like when we were in that era era of talking about that specifically. And I just found it really kind of interesting to see them coming back up because I hadn't seen likes on these videos in quite some time. And now like I'm seeing them like almost on a daily basis. So clearly they're making the rounds again for some odd reason. And to kind of hear this voicemail, especially combined with the fact that just today you were talking about how like Dean's need for control is what dictates some of his behaviors in this episode. Like, I think that it just ties so incredibly well all together. Not, not to talk only about Dean, because I think that there's something there too. Like we've talked about how Dean has experienced sexual assault, like much earlier on, as far as we're aware than Sam, um, because he would have had to provide um, Sam with food when they were when they were little, uh, when John wouldn't leave anything for them. But the thing is, like, we do see Sam get sexually assaulted, like, on screen in season one by Meg, right? So, like, this is something that does happen to Sam. I just think that the stage in life at which it happens and the frequency at which it happens is also like a difference for the boys because for Dean, you know, like the assumption, the, the, the fanon assumption and, you know, arguably canon as well is that it would have happened like quite a bit when he was in his late, in his teens at the very least. Right. I'm, I'm treading kind of carefully here because I just, I want to be respectful of this. 
But for Sam, it happens later. And we see one instance in season one. We're going to see at least one more instance later on. No, well, we saw also like the old lady, like just grabbing at him in the pirate episode, the ghost ship episode, uh, Red Sky at Morning. So we do see it, but I think we see it to a lesser degree than we see it for Dean, which might explain why for Dean it is so important um, not to minimize Sam's experiences, but I think that might have to do with that. And um, so just to kind of add that to the voicemail, just add those thoughts in. Sam's are almost minimized because they're played off like not as seriously, not say they're not serious, but they're not played off as seriously. Whereas Dean's are like, they're not as explicit if I'm making sense, like Dean's happen and are not the focal point of like what's happening. They're like tangential to the scene, whereas Sam's are one more focused on and meant to be like this, the, the point of the scene, whether being played for the serious angle with Meg or the joke angle with the old lady. Whereas Dean's are like, you're having a confrontation with a vampire who just so happened to choose to kiss you. The scene itself was not about that assault. That assault happens in the scene, but wasn't the focal point, I feel. And there is something about the way it's portrayed with Dean, where it's almost secondary to what's going on. I think that's a failure of the writing. Oh, 100%. Yes. I'm a, no, that, that's yes. <laughs> what I, I think, like, no matter how it happens or how it's played off, right, it still happens. And again, if we're taking the assumption that these we're looking at the story of, quote unquote, real people, like, no matter how it's displayed on the show, it's still happening to Sam and to Dean and like the effect of it on them is going to be just as bad, right? Like there's no, the fact that the show plays it off as a joke for Sam, like that's a reflection on the show, right? Not on Sam. That that's what I was getting to though. It's the way the show presents it that they almost want you to talk about Sam's because like it's a focal point Whereas Dean's is not pushed to the forefront the way that it should be. Because in both cases, it is sexual assault. There's no ifs, ands, or buts. Do you have any reflection and call to action this week? Yeah, I really had a moment. Like, I, I don't think it's hard to imagine feeling empathy for Dean in the moment when he gets presented with Hillary and having to take the life of this 12 year old girl right in front of her father who is alone in the world. It's it's mortifying. There's no ifs, ands or buts. If I were in Dean's shoes, 1000 percent would do the same thing. And I don't think I would go back to correct the mistake the way he did. Like, I, I think I am that much weaker than Dean that I don't think I could go back and do that. I think. In other moments, the, the, the point I want to take from the scene is seeing the forest for the trees. You know, it's really easy to look at a moment in front of you and make a decision based on that moment. But sometimes we do need to step back. And I have been guilty of it myself of not looking for the big picture when later on, I realized, right. Had I done had, even the simplest things of like, had I taken the time to do X, Y, Z work, then I would not be rushing to do it now. And in the grander scheme of my mental health and taking care of myself and enjoying my time, I'd be better off had I done the thing I didn't want to do initially when I should have done it. But in the moment, I was more concerned with the then, not the big picture. So very, very simple list for myself is just to, 
widen my field of view a bit to my entire well-being and mental health and physical health and not looking at that one moment right there. That's really hard. If you take any consolation from this, that's really hard. So like, yeah, I get that. <laughs> it's one of those things where I say it and I'm sure I will put it into effect where I need to, but there will definitely be moments of weakness where I go, I shouldn't have had those four donuts, but I had those four donuts. And your reflections this week? I think I'm going to latch on to the idea that compassion like doesn't have to cost us, that it can, but that it doesn't have to. Um, I think that was pretty meaningful as a realization for me. I'm basically feeling called to show compassion in ways that aren't too taxing for me, like still offering something to the person in front of me, but just not to the point where it costs something of me. So just, yeah, ways to show compassion while still honoring myself and my own needs. You've been listening to Carrying Wayward, a supernatural podcast produced by Rochelle Castellano, hosted by Drew Shulman and myself, Marie Vigourou. Thank you to everyone supporting us on Coffee or Patreon, and an extra thank you to our Bunker supporters, Katira, L, and Jeremiah Thomas. This week, we'd like to thank Jesse for their message. You can find the links to all of our social media and our merch store at carryingwayward.com. And don't forget to leave us a rating and review wherever you listen to us. If you like Carrying Wayward and you'd like to support us in our project to go through all 15 seasons of Supernatural, you can go support us through Coffee or Patreon, and you can find those links at carryingwayward.com. Carry on our wayward friends. I love your theory that he just doesn't know because we've learned before that angels just don't care about humans. And if this truly is a Balthazar versus cast scenario, Balthazar would clearly be on the side of not caring about humans. So they would all be equal to him. So he would not take the time to learn even the ones who kind of beat him. He's like, I need some advice, advice, angel advice. Well then go ask your boyfriend. Cass can't help me. I need to know if there's a spell or a weapon, anything that could keep a soul out forever. What's going on, Sam?